This episode of Splendid Chaps, Seven Religion, is presented in two parts. Join us now for part two. We rejoin Ben McKenzie, John Richards, Dave Bluestein, Paul Callahan, and myself on stage at the Public Bar Melbourne on the 14th of July, 2013. We've got prizes, we're going to talk about religion. There is one thing we need to do in this show, though, and it has to be in this show, and this show only. Uh, end of every show, we have a song. And there is one song we kept being asked about, which we weren't going to do because it's it's pretty much just production. There's not really any way it could be reinterpreted by anyone. So we thought the obvious thing was to get you, the audience, to perform it right now. Yeah. Uh, which is, of course, Doctor in the TARDIS yeah. by the Time Lords. The song which is integral to my experience of being a Doctor Who fan. Uh, because in 1988, I was chased around the schoolyard by people singing it. <laughs> Because I grew up in a small country town where no one else liked Doctor Who. I grew up in Melbourne and nobody else liked Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, this is, a, this is an interesting point because it, it was a huge hit around the world, but it was a nostalgia hit. People were buying it kind of, oh, I remember that show we used to like. Whatever happened to that? Like, it was still on air, but yeah. no one was watching it. Nobody knew. But it's also relevant, it's also relevant to religion because the same guys who wrote uh, Ancients of Moo Moo. Yeah, it's, and, it's yeah. the, the KLF, the Jams, the Bill Drummond, and it is all of, course, of that. It is, of course, one of the first uh, officially released mashup songs uh, because it mashed up the, uh, the Doctor Who theme song, uh, Rock and Roll Part 2 by Gary Glitter, and um, uh, Blockbuster by The Sweet, which is uh, a, great, a great song, but if you listen to the lyrics, it's... Look, as a feminist, I have to condemn that song. It's, um... I taped it off Rage onto a cassette. Oh, hey! It was a homemade cast single. <laughs> so, will you please start us? Of course. Doctor Who. Hey! Doctor Who. Doctor Who. Loads of money. Yeah. Does anyone else remember? You remember the film clip for that? Yeah, with the Ford car and the, the square Daleks. Oh, the, so great. The Daleks with Daleks with feet. Oh yeah, they were they were clearly just wooden milk crates with people in them. I was a terrible Daleks on a cardboard. We'd never use anything like that. <laughs> you know, when your production values are lower than early Doctor Who. You really got a problem. Right, oh, so let us get they, going. That's how they made a million dollars. They didn't spend any money. We have okay. so much to get through. Uh, we got DVDs to give away. We do. We do have DVDs to give away. Remember, too, the virtual door prize, if you're listening at home, you can win by placing a comment on our website, splendidchaps.com, where you'll find this episode. And any comment, good, bad, indifferent, we don't care. We don't read them. And you can win That's a not copy. true. <laughs> I read every single one. <laughs> Out loud, it's weird. He rings me. Uh, okay, so that's the Ace John, Adventures John, DVD someone box said set. this. They said this, John. And last week's, uh, last month's virtual door prize was the Trial of a Time Lord box set. We have the entries in that, uh, that jug for some reason. They're going to win uh, the go. amazing Trial of a Time Lord box set. Is it a Actually, tiny, you, whiny jug? Sure. Mr. Bluestein, just tell us who the winner is of the Trial of a Time Lord box set from last month. 
David Vanderhoof. David Vanderhoof. Are you here, David Vanderhoof? No. No, no, no someone David just Vanderhoof. shouted out. That's not a real name, they damn. said. No, it, it is. It's someone who commented on our Could have saved blog. postage. But still, uh, David we'll Vanderhoof, you have David. one that we will be posting that out to you. Well done, Congratulations. you. Congratulations. Well done. Right, now we're here to talk about religion. And we have another guest, and she's been waiting for nearly two hours now. (laughs) It's okay, she'll forgive us. (laughs) Oh, nice. Zing. Bam. I hope. (laughs) Our last chap was ordained in 2008, and her first placement was at the Lansfield, Mount Macedon, Riddles Creek and Romsey Uniting Churches. She's worked with young people as a tutor and pastoral care coordinator at the University of Melbourne's Janet Clark Hall and lived for six months as part of the World Council of Churches International Community in Geneva. Like many religious people, she was touched at a young age by the words of the good book, except in her case, the good book was The Hobbit, (laughs) which she read when she was eight. While attending a taping of Adam Hills in Gordon Street tonight, she revealed that she was a science fiction-loving minister, which led to the creation of the Church of the Latter-day Geek, which she has held in Romney and in her new congregation in Williamstown. She can name all the disciples as well as every character in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. (laughs) She's the Reverend Dr. Avril Hannah-Jones. But have you trained as a monk? No. No, um, there was a gender issue and a denominational issue. But apart from that, you know, of course. So tell us about the services. Tell us about the Latter-day Geek. Oh, it started as an absolute joke. Um, I was at the first taping of Adam Hills in Gordon Street tonight and to get in, you had to tell them something about yourself. And I said, I'm a minister who loves Buffy. And apparently they then sat around in their writer's room and thought, what can we do? And thought, oh, we can't do this. That would be too much. We can't do that. So what they did was they made an ad for something they called the Church of the Latter-day Geeks and assumed that I would probably be offended by it. And I wasn't. I thought, that's really funny and I like it. So they thought, okay, how about we get you to lead a service in a a sci-fi T-shirt? And I said, okay. So I had my um, Trust Me, I'm the Doctor T-shirt. And I led the next Sunday's church service with that and showed them photos. And then they thought, okay, we'll do the thing we thought would be impossible at first. And so um, I had a sci-fi church service in which I used sci-fi stories as part of the church service and got the entire congregation to dress up. And um, apparently the very first thing they'd thought of doing with me was having a Dalek turn up in one of my congregations just in the back of the church and seeing what I did. Um, And... I got a Dalek at my church, and what I did was be really impressed and go, wow. (laughs) And you know, that Dalek is an old friend of ours. Yes. It's actually the same Dalek that performed at our comedy festival show. There's pretty much just the one performance Dalek in Melbourne. I do know it intimately. (laughs) I've got a great photo of someone trying to help the Dalek down the side of my little country church, and I've kept it, and it's just hilarious. It it sums up my life. But you you still do these. You've carried on these services. Yeah. um, At first it was a one-off, and that was insane because it got picked up internationally in the media, and I opened my door at 7.31 morning going to the gym and had Today Tonight on my doorstep (laughs) and thought, ah... 
Um, and the poor guys, I said, yes, I'm happy to talk to you, but you need to wait for someone from the church office to come from Melbourne. So they hung around at my house till 11. And I had one of those, um, what would Jesus do moments, which ministers have every so often. It was like, okay, Jesus would invite them in to have coffee. And so I invited them in to have coffee. <laughs> the most awkward coffee I've ever had. So, so what you're saying is Jesus wouldn't go to the offices of today, tonight and tip over the tables. <laughs> Because I think that's what Jesus would do. I, I mean, I did have this really interesting conversation with them as to, so, why are you doing this? Like, why are you working for Today Tonight? And they were really nice young journalists full of, you know, we, we want to be journalists. And, and I'm thinking, oh, my, you are in such the wrong show. <laughs> so the first year was obviously really big because we'd had international media coverage. And then I had it the second year because a lot of people had said, have it again. And I thought, oh, okay, well, you know, we're not going to have the international media coverage, but we still filled my little church in Romsey. And then this year I had it down at Williamstown, which is now an enormous great church compared to my previous ones. And a couple of days before I was thinking, we're going to have 20 people, it's going to be an empty church, it's going to be hideous. And we filled that church. So um, I think I'm going to keep doing them. Yes. They're going well. There is one of the things that's mentioned when you do have these, which I just wanted to read out. It's from the website. You're welcome to come in a costume of your choice, but blasters, stakes and other weapons will have to be left at the church door. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, I mean, it's a stupid question, but why? <laughs> okay, um, well, that question, that... Um, Warning always leads to this enormous conversation about whether wands can come in. <laughs> and what about sonic screwdrivers? Uh, sonic, sonic screwdrivers are fine. Basically, it's if something's main purpose is as a weapon, you're not allowed to bring it in church. And I could say that is because, you know, we're a non-violent religion, but it's basically because when I started doing this, my little nephew would come along and if I let him in the church with a lightsaber, my church would no longer exist. So, so I said it was this great big, you know, ethical thing about not bringing weapons into the church. It was just I didn't want my nephew waving a lightsaber. I choose to think that's because your nephew has a real lightsaber. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was thinking of that too. <laughs> and, and they can go through pulpits yeah. and pews. Yeah. I've got to say um, that most conventions have a similar rule. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you can demonstrate that your weapon is made of completely safe foam. You're not yep. allowed to have one. So I think that's perfectly reasonable. Oh, cool. <laughs> so let's, let's move on to Doctor Who. What, let's start, and start with your opinion, because these guys have been talking for two hours. Uh, <laughs> what do you think Doctor Who tells us about religion? Oh, well, you've completely destroyed my enjoyment in the homework <laughs> that I was given. Because I've been looking at Doctor Who as full of these incredible messages about commitment and sacrifice and non-violence and I've used things like um, and faith I've used regeneration when I've been talking about resurrection I've looked at um, all the use of the way various companions have been willing to sacrifice themselves or other people for for the sake of the doctor and then I watched um, I started watching all the ones which are specifically about religion and faith and it's very much, you know, faith is a bad thing. You should not have faith. And it doesn't matter whether it's faith in religion or faith in CIA conspiracies, because I just watched um, The God Complex uh, this, this morning before church, in fact. Um, <laughs> and, and that was very much, you know, you're safe if you don't have any belief or superstition. Um, and the, the Curse of Fenric, in a way, was the same, although there's 
that's more nuanced, but it was religion is a bad thing because it's a non-rational faith in something. On the other hand, Doctor Who keeps providing the Doctor as an object of faith, and in fact, the only object of faith who is actually real and can do things for you. So it's well, yeah, I, I don't agree. Like I think that um, just because, like I mean, it depends if you if you see religion as something that is uh, metaphysical and um, supernatural, I guess then yeah, absolutely. But in terms of you know um, trust and interpersonal relationships. That's a very strong theme, even, yeah. And particularly because of Henry. But, but I've got to say, I do agree that when I was looking back on, on the idea of organised religion, at least in Doctor Who, and there is a, I think there's a, a, an interesting difference between old and new Who on this, uh, but there are so many stories in old Who in which religions are just people too stupid to see that it's science. Uh, I started writing some down earlier, uh, including the demons, face of evil, underworld, power of crawl, megloss, pyramids of Mars, image of the Fendals, city of death, horns of Nymon, stones of blood, the time monster, the ghost light, the time meddler, an earthly child has the cavemen worshipping the sun as orb. Um, it, it's just, there is, and this is just some of them, there were more as well. Uh, and yet... I think, actually, and there is an exception uh, with things like Buddhism, uh, Eastern religions, uh, two things like, you know, um, Kinder, the Baralettes era, they show a lot more respect for it. And in many ways, bagging on Christianity while being a Buddhist is the most middle-class English thing you could possibly do. Like, it's, it's, it's a quite startlingly Radio 4 approach to the show. Um, <laughs> But the new series, though, is interesting because the God Complex... Uh, so the God Complex actually uh, ties into to Nyman, but I was to say um, the Satan Pit mm-hmm. actually does present this character as potentially... Not as potentially, it's quite heavily said to be the devil, the actual devil. And we also start to see Christian characters who are heroes, a lot of um, Christian soldiers showing up in the new oh, series. Yeah. A lot of ang- a- no, Anglican whole, soldiers. And yeah, there's a whole... In the, in the, um, uh, yeah, the Time yeah. of Angels uh, and uh, Flesh and Stone, or I'm probably getting the name. Um, there's, a, there's a whole cadre. They, they just call them clerics. And they're clearly the military. Yes, and it's and just like, what? To be fair, there's also dodgy cat nuns. So. Yes. <laughs> I was but, also watching uh, New Earth and then Gridlock. But the cat nuns aren't necessarily dodgy. In that they are running a hospital. Oh, yeah. They are in... Yeah, don't, in, you. in... <laughs> don't you remember that episode? They're, they're kitties. <laughs> they're, they're cloning humans to infect them as lab rats. Oh, and, like, you've never done that, Avril. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been there, yeah. is my point. But I, was there, but I do think that there is that... I, think, I, I don't know. I would, I would have thought that New Who is more faith. Friendly, though, or do you not think that? No, well, I mean, the old who where it's, um, we think it's religion and it turns out to be science and I was watching The Face of Evil and there was one point at which the the shaman is saying, speak, Lord, your servant is listening and I'm thinking, oh, well, that's the book of Samuel, um, (laughs) quoted directly word for word. But the thing, that sort of thing doesn't really affect me. It's like the Richard Dawkins critique of Christianity. It doesn't really touch me because he's not critiquing the faith as I understand it. And that sort of religion is only people too stupid to understand it's science. I mean, that's you know, water off a duck's back. That's not actually what I understand religion to be. But something like gridlock where you have the people sitting in the cars and they sing the hymn together and they say we're not alone as long as we have each other as they sing the old rugged cross. And then you find that they're absolutely wrong and what they needed to do was get out of the cars. And there's one moment when Martha is talking to two, the people in the car and 
they're worried they're about to die. And she says, no, no, you've got your faith, you've got your songs and hymns, and I've got the doctor. And then, of course, the doctor is the one that saves them. Their faith, their songs and hymns have been useless. And I'm looking at that going, no. Not useless, though, surely, because it's still provided them with comfort. It's provided them with comfort, but it's a false comfort. And I went and read what Russell T Davies wrote about it, and he said he thought he was writing something nice about faith, you know, faith as bringing a community together and faith as providing people for com with comfort in the worst circumstances. And then he realised that, no, what he's saying is that faith is false and it stops you from actually looking for a real solution to your problems, which is what the doctor did. And he said, even when I'm trying to be nice about faith, you know, who I am is coming through. And I was looking at that going, yeah. But, but yeah, in, in, the, in the Satan pit, and I've got a bit, the Satan pit uh, and to a lesser extent, what's the one in the bus with the monster on the top? Midnight? Oh, Midnight. Yeah. Oh, with the creepy... Yeah, yeah. Oh, but I would say, um, Satan Pit, and to a lesser extent, so Midnight, they actually annoy me as, a, as, a, as, a, as an atheist who just likes science, that, that, that it's all about there are things we, we don't know, there are things we can't know, Satan Pit in particular. But to me, that's... Says that's he's definitely the devil. That's just like Lovecraft. Like, I mean, you can, you can ascribe a supernatural interpretation to it, uh, or you can ascribe a kind of, you know, hypernatural cosmic horror quality to it, and I don't think that violates science fiction. But the point of the Satan pit, though, is meant to be the Doctor is out of his comfort zone, that he has been clinging to science and now there is something beyond that which he can understand, which I, one I would still, think is faith, surely. I still just choose to think of it as like... <laughs> <laughs> but I think it, it's like in all of these instances, and the Satan pit especially, it's just, it's, it's religion as story shorthand and that's actually the thing that frustrates me the most like the silence is supposed to be a religious order and my thing is always how like yeah. how do they function as a religious order and then you've got the monks who have no heads and you're like that is like they are not going to be useful as monks <laughs> <laughs> unless the and doorways only, are just very short yeah and, <laughs> and not only that i always i see things like that and my brain immediately goes how did they get to that point in their religion where they thought getting rid of their head was a good idea like at no point someone went, hang on, guys, just wait, let's think about this a little bit longer. <laughs> you know, and I think like, things like bringing the devil in and, and all of this kind of extra-religious stuff, and you who is very guilty of this, I think, it's just, it comes back to that shorthand. It's like, it's science or it's faith, and that's a dichotomy. Where I think older who doesn't always get it, but has like a nuance about it, especially in something like um, The Demons, it's about that kind of that faith versus science but also brings in you know kind of alternative religious practice as well um and it's really it's exploring the edges of those ideas in a way that you kind of can't really imagine you I, I thought the aztecs did that really interestingly when they're talking about human sacrifice <laughs> the doctor kind of goes well you know because they're gonna they're gonna yeah, the aztecs of human sacrifice and barbara wants to stop it and 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 uh william hartnell goes well it's their it's their religion uh, <laughs> it's it's what they do like we don't want to interfere it's there's a kind of cultural relativism more, yeah. about it, which is quite nice, I thought. He's more interested in, in not disrupting history than in not disrupting a religious practice. It at the time, though. Like, at first, like, it's kind of like, this is their culture. Like, who are you to come in and, and tell them how to run their lives, which is a really kind of non-interventionist... Avril, you have disturbance on your face. Why? A, a, a couple of things. The idea that, you know, religious tolerance means we can't say it's wrong to kill other people. Is, is a problem for me. I'm all for religious tolerance, but I think it stops at the point where you're doing human sacrifice. Well, the argument is actually with the person themselves who wants to be sacrificed. Even so. I mean, uh, if you have people who say, yes, female genital mutilation is an important part of our culture, 
I think you do actually have the right to say, well, have you thought that maybe this isn't central to sure. your religion? And human sacrifice, I think, comes in the same. Yeah, but I guess I, I think there's also, like, for me anyway, that because I'm not Christian, yeah. uh, I'm not, I mean, I'm not religious. I have no religious feeling, but uh, I have a religious background. And uh, my religion doesn't have that same dualism about it. Like, it's not, I, I'm, I have a Jewish background. It's much more, I think, in line with that way that religion and science can go together, where religion is a kind of storytelling that is a way of explaining natural phenomenon for people hmm. at different times. So you don't have to believe in it for it to be meaningful. And there's a really interesting, uh, there's a really interesting argument. I really wanted to bring this because I was watching Dragonfire today uh, in preparation and there's a bit where, um, uh, so Sabalon Glitz has had his, his spaceship stolen and he has to go and break into it again. But there's a guard guarding it. So the doctor goes to distract the guard, but he does it by having a, a fight over religion. Uh, he starts this argument, uh, this conversation about religion and I'm watching it with my like philosophy training hat on going, the doctor is losing this conversation. Like the guard knows a lot more about religion <laughs> than the doctor does. So it kind of starts with, um, do you want to do you want to play? Here, do you want to play the guard? I'll play the doctor. <laughs> and I wrote it down. I can just welcome uh, to Splinter Chaps Radio Theatre, coming to you live <laughs> from the public bar. Just going to explain that what the lines actually mean, right? So the doctor starts by saying, "Excuse me, what's your attitude towards the nature of existence? For example, do you hold any strong theological uh, position, opinions? You know, do you believe in God or gods or whatever?" And the guard says, "I think you'll find most educated people find mythical convictions as fundamentally animistic." So yeah, in other words, um, he's basically saying that that religion uh, religion is animi is animism. Religion is a way of giving a kind of personality to nature to explain it. Right? And the doctor says, I see, that's a, a very interesting concept, right? Which it is, but he clearly doesn't. Uh, Personally, I find that most experiences border on the existential. So in other words, uh, you know, I don't, like the guide is saying, I don't have to give nature a personality or a sense of wonder uh, to find meaning in it, right? I, I have an existential perspective. I, I take my experiences at face value and that's meaningful for me. Uh, and the doctor says, well, how would you reconcile that with the imperial critical belief? I think he means empirical critical belief. Uh, imperial critical belief that experiences the root of all phenomena. In other words, um, you know, unless there's some uh, galactic empire, this imperial philosophers that we don't know about, he's basically saying... Uh, I find your lack of faith disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> but wait, but wait, because then the guards, then the guard says... I think you'll find that a concept can be philosophically valid even if theologically meaningless. So religion can be useful uh, and meaningful even if it's not real, which I think is, is kind of important. Then it goes on and gets more and more abstract. And, and then it and starts to quote from Doctor Who, the unfolding yeah, yeah. text. <laughs> it, it really does. Literally. Uh, but they start talking about the semiotic thickness of a performed text. It's, it's from that book. But, it, but for me, that kind of validates the role of religion in Doctor Who because it's kind of saying, you know, as a form... Like, you don't have to believe that there were three little pigs to, uh, that could talk to think that the story of the three little pigs is meaningful in terms of how you should, you know, uh, your approach to architecture and... Uh, <laughs> And big bad wolf deterrence. Like, there's, there's meaning in that text. It doesn't have to be literally real. And I think that the Doctor travels that line quite nicely. Well, actually, the, the, this is a question which I, I asked you before we, we came on, which is a question you've, you've been asked several times before, which is just that, for me, I, I look at... Uh, and we've, we've mentioned, you've mentioned, uh, Doctor Who, he is in many ways a Christ figure. There's, there's uh, resurrection, there's, you know, um, the healing, there's forgiveness... Um, but I look at Doctor Who, and, and to me it's a work of fiction. I look at the Christian faith, and to me it's a work of fiction. I can't, I can't see a difference. You can 
which I'm actually quite envious of. But how, how do you have that faith? How do you know that one is, is a fictional work but the other you can believe in? Well, I don't know because it's faith, which I know completely freaks people out in a world governed by science. I mean, the point of religious faith is we cannot prove it scientifically. So if your worldview is that only that which is scientifically provable is real, then yes, anything that I do is not going to make sense at all. I, I guess I can see the difference or feel the difference because one changes my life and is at the centre of my life and has supported me through, you know, hell. And the other is, is fun and um, prompts ideas, but if I was in the middle of depression, I wouldn't pray to Doctor Who and feel that somehow Doctor Who was going to hear me and understand. Um, and I guess the other thing is possibly I may, you know, after death discover that, yes, the Christian faith is based on someone's idea of a really great story that we misunderstood and took, but it's been going for 2,000 years and people all around the world, there's a community, so it's not just my own faith I'm drawing on, I'm drawing on the faith of a, a worldwide community. And it would be interesting to look ahead 2,000 years and go, you know, okay, has this turned into a religion? Have people thought, oh, that's wonderful stories and we will take them literally? Or is there a difference between religious faith that people say this actually has truth in it and fantasy and science fiction where people say this is fascinating, interesting, exciting and challenging, but it's not actually true? So, but I, ca I can't explain how I have faith. It, I, I, I just realised the best thing about Doctor Who as a grasslight figure is that when it ends on Friday, it comes back three days later. <laughs> Um, what I was going to say is, don't you think that, don't you think that, tr like you're talking about saying how it doesn't have anything true in it, that, that discussion we were having earlier about the politics of who under Thatcher, don't you think there is a kind of truth in it? Oh, yeah. Um, it's, but it's a different level of truth. I mean, we're not talking as though there is only one type of truth. There is, um, and there's also the difference between truth and fact. Um, but... Which it, you know, we could we could go into philosophically, and it would be enormous, but probably not so interesting. To, hard to put Doctor <laughs> Who back into that bit. Well, <laughs> no, we could do it, but um, philosophy is bigger on the inside. Yes. <laughs> we are. Well, isn't that? That's one of the essential messages of yeah. Christianity or indeed any spiritual faith, which is that all people are bigger on the inside. Absolutely, and that's one of the things that I appreciate most about New Who, New Who in particular is that sense that humanity has something valuable and that there is no unimportant human person. And so I'm really sad to hear that you know, the Sylvester McCoy-era doctor didn't like humans because I haven't watched much of that and I hadn't picked it up. I think he up. just got frustrated <laughs> with them. Yeah. I think he just found... He's kind of like Jesus in that respect. He's like, you guys are all right, but stop doing stupid stuff. Oh, yes, and the poor old um, vicar in... Uh, Curse of Fenric. Curse of Fenric. Oh, my... Oh, He's I'm... so conflicted. And it's, that would have been a really tough time to yeah. be a man of faith. Absolutely. I knew exactly where he was coming from. His faith was in humanity. And obviously, if your own country is dropping bombs on innocent people, you can't hold it. And I just wanted to say, you know, please go back to theological college, you know, have a little more time with your colleagues. You know, yes, faith in the intrinsic goodness of human beings is not going to get you through World War II, let alone the aftermath. You know, it's, it's not enough. And I think, I, think, I think that's actually, for me, the most interesting part of the, you know, the doctor religion conversation is the idea of it being existentialist. Like Doctor Who's kind of underlying story is like, you know, your values are important and you need to, 
do you know enact those without hurting people that's kind of the core of it and i think that through the mccoy era that's what he's trying to do with ace he's trying to take a character who is on a certain trajectory and on a certain arc which may be self-destructive he's kind of basically go we need to work out what your values are which is a very existential kind of way of thinking and we need to like find a way to integrate them i think the reason that that um the vicar in curse of fenric falls isn't because he's religious it's because he can't integrate that part of himself with the wider world it's not it's not a religious failure because he still has that faith like right to the end it's just he cannot reconcile the ideal of his religion with his humanity mm. yep and th the trouble is not that i want to get theologically too caught up but one of the things christianity says is yes sin is real and sometimes people behave like absolute shits and that's a recognised part of the faith as well. So I, I think if the poor guy had just gone, yep, they're behaving appallingly and we understand that's part of what humanity is. The other thing that freaked me about that one was the person with you know, clear, strong faith was the Russian soldier with his faith in the revolution. And he was the one who had no problem with the hemovores because his faith in the revolution was so strong. And I'm thinking, well, that's great, good, strong faith, really lousy, you know, object of worship yeah <laughs> yeah not so great yeah. and and the other i mean one thing we talk about too is what the doctor himself believes because that in that episode everybody has to have faith in something to create the psychic barrier that keeps the hemovores at bay and and it's i mean in in the dubbed sort of version that you can get now it's a bit more clear but what he's reciting in the names of all his companions so he has faith in his personal relationships with other people and i, I did find there's a passage um in uh, one of the missing adventures, which is a, a William Hartnell story called uh, The Empire of Glass, I've forgotten the name of the author, where he, uh, he goes back to the 17th century and he's at a dinner with Galileo, as you do. <laughs> and Galileo asks him, because obviously it's something that's been playing on his mind with the way that he was treated by the Catholic Church, you know, what do you believe, Doctor? And he says, and I'm paraphrasing a bit here, but he basically says, you know, I've travelled all around the universe, I've seen so many people who believe all these different things that are mutually incompatible, so they can't all believe the right, something that's true. Um, and so at present, I'm an agnostic, but I firmly expect that by the end of my long life, when I've seen everything there is to see, I will be an atheist, which I thought was kind of an interesting way to depict the doctor's experience um, and I think, so what I, where I want to go to with that is that we've been talking mostly about faith, but Doctor Who also has things to say about specific kinds of religion. And in, in the early stories, they very rarely interact with Christianity. Like there's almost no, Christianity almost never comes up in the original series. Like in Curse of Fenric, um, in the Romans, there's that one character who's mysteriously trying to kill Nero and save all the slaves. And then it turns out at the end, you see that he's got a crucifix. He's a secret Christian in, in non-Christian Rome. Um, but there's very few other instances where you have them. Even in the demons, clearly the master is not meant to represent what Christianity is really like. I've got to say, as a, as a you know, Jewish Doctor Who fan, that was one of the most disappointing things of the New Who for me were the Christmas specials. Like, and I love the stories. They're great stories. Because they never suddenly... did a Hanukkah special? Yeah, no. It's because... Well, the funny thing is that there is actually a menorah up the back of the room. Uh, it's an electric menorah. Yeah, yeah. Which is a great name for a band. Isn't but it? Electric menorah. Uh, <laughs> but no, because, because one of the things I loved about Doctor Who is this kind of aspirational science fiction show was that he really, you know, he had such a big perspective. Like he has the whole, he has all the planets and he's chosen to hang out on Earth. He has like this whole world perspective that he often brings to conflicts, particularly racial conflicts in the Sylvester McCoy era. Uh, and yet Christmas is such a 
uh, a culturally specific festival that becomes universalized in the same kind of Grinch that stole Christmas kind of way where suddenly, well, all good people do Christmas. And it kind of, it, it narrowed the focus so much. Like, even though they explained it through, you know, you kind of, de- they kind of de-Christianized Christmas, but it's still a Christmas special in so many ways. Um, yeah. I sort of throw in, sorry, this is to one side, but just when you talk about early religion, there was actually when John Wiles took over as the producer uh, during the Hartnell era for season three, had pitched a story called The Face of God in which <laughs> the, the crew would meet the face of God. Later recycled into Star Trek V, The Final oh, yeah. Frontier. Uh, they, they eventually didn't make it because they thought it might turn out to be offensive. So... Good on them for thinking about that. <laughs> but, but, but it is, yeah, is kind of curious. That I want to ask though, so before we ruin this for you forever, uh, so, so how, how, were, how do you see the Doctor and, and the intersection with Christianity before we made you watch these certain stories? Yeah, well, I, I was seeing it as, in a sense, a Christianity-free zone. So I wasn't looking at it looking, there are examples of my faith. It was, I mean, in the same way that I wouldn't watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer and go, wow, she's using a crucifix to hold off vampires. This is saying something really important about Christianity. Um, And with the Christmas specials, it was such a secularised cultural Christmas. It had pretty much nothing to do with Christmas as I understand it. And even when there were things like floating stars, they started to kill everybody. So, (laughs) Um, So for me, it was more about themes. And it was those themes of um, community and sacrifice and themes of redemption. I was watching um, New Earth and then Gridlock with Novice Hain, the the cat who was originally part of this, you know, cloning people, which is wrong. (laughs) Yeah, fine, all right. It's very wrong, John. Yes, it is wrong to clone people. Um, And then has spent the next 40 or so years, you know, serving the face of Bo after the Doctor has shown her the right way. And I wasn't going, okay, well, in that case, the Doctor is obviously a Christ avatar and this is redemption and forgiveness. I was going, that's a lovely story. And there is a theme there of forgiveness and of redemption. And I can refer to that when I'm talking to people about forgiveness. But I wasn't thinking it was something specifically Christian. So when you got me to watch specifically religious episodes, I was going, oh, they are talking about my faith and they're getting it really wrong. <laughs> so They do go their way too because he is a Christ figure to a degree. Like, for example, Paul McGann telly movie goes a horrifically over-the-top way of, of you Absolutely. know. And but that's for an American market as well, which changes things. Like, it, they, they really amp up the Christianity in that one. And there's, the you know, in Last of the Time Lords, when the Doctor, first of all, gets turned into Dobby, the house elf. <laughs> And then, and then via the psychic will of all humanity believing in him, floats in the air as if he's on a crucifix. I and know. It, it's I, I pretty was, explicit. I was watching that and thinking, he's, he's saying, I've had a whole year to tune myself into the psychic network. And I'm going, oh, load of rubbish. They're praying to you. Yeah. You know, no matter what science you use to try and explain this, what you have is the people of Earth praying to a God figure yeah. who is then able to save them. But then every time I read anything with Russell T Davies about New Who, he's always so angry that anyone would make those comparisons. Yeah. He wrote it. Yes, how could you yeah. not? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, he's writing it from a strictly atheist perspective and he's going, no, you can't, you know, bring your horrible religion to interpret oh, my... I've got to say, like, he's, he's not a very good atheist either, <laughs> I'm going to say. I don't feel he represents me. <laughs> no, well, the one, the one I found really interesting was, um, I think it was the one with Kylie Minogue in it and he was saying some... 
Voyage of the Damned, and, you know, she falls backwards and there's golden light and she sacrificed herself. And he was saying, people are going to say this is a Christ figure, and it's not. If you can see it, she's a barmaid. And, and the, the person interviewing him said, well, you know, Jesus was a carpenter. And he's going, yes, and that's all he is, and we shouldn't be bringing this into it. And I'm going... I, I think you're missing something about your cultural context. <laughs> he put angels quite explicitly in that story. Yeah. I mean, yes, they're robot angels, and yes, they do kill people, but they also lift the doctor up and fly him through the air. Yeah. Again, with his arms outstretched. It's, yeah. it's just ridiculous. They're, that they're drawing on that. themes and metaphors, and yes, some people are going to read that, as I have, and every time I do a service, I kind of feel a bit embarrassed because I draw on Joss Whedon and Russell T Davies and I think you guys would hate it if you knew I was using your stuff in nah. church. You know what I say screw them uh, if they're gonna <laughs> if they're gonna use your religion for their storytelling you can use their storytelling for your religion I think that's entirely fair <laughs> trade. They they created it they put it out there they've put religious like you know religious themes and they've drawn on that for their storytelling, of course you should use that. I, and I really, I love what you do. I was reading about the blog and, and the way that you use the stories and integrate them in your service. I think it's amazing because, first of all, it's, it's a good way to get people in. <laughs> it's not like, um, here's some popular culture along with the Bible. Um, <laughs> bit of a contrast. But, um, but also, yeah, you're drawing on, that. both of them draw on universal themes in, in human experience and in culture and are both important parts of what makes our society and our, and our culture as we understand it now what they are. And I think it's brilliant that you, you bring them together the way you do. Thank you. I feel okay about doing it because it's not something I'm doing uh, just to get people in the door. You know, I, I am actually a fan. So Yeah, oh, no, I would never suggest that. Yeah, Sorry. No, and there's no wrong way to be people... a fan either. Remember that. <laughs> Lots, lots of people did. I mean, today, tonight, made a big thing about the church is dying. Is this the way to revive it? And I'm going, that's, that's really not what it's about. But the other thing I've discovered about the service is a lot of my ex-students from college come along and it's the one time of the year they come to church. And I know I'm not going to get them to do anything Christian. But that theme of, you know, care for each other, possibly sacrifice yourself if someone's in need, um, be kind, respect everybody's humanity. You know, if, if they take that away, then I'll think I'm doing a good, good job. So, yeah, we, 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 we are running out of time and probably need to push on. But before, there is a question we got sent in. So we did get us in a question I wanted to bring up. And this is from John Shea, who actually won the prize. <laughs> he did win the prize. He won the, the virtual tour prize last month. He also writes for the Jesuit Post in the US. And he wrote saying... In addition to being a lifelong Doctor Who fan, I'm a Jesuit who'll be ordained as a Catholic priest next June. I'm also an evolutionary biologist. So as a scientist soon to be priest, I appreciate the superstition is bad motif found in Doctor Who. Uh, but with that background, I have two comments, questions. First, I'm always amazed by the diversity of the Doctor Who fan base. I have Christian and atheist friends who all love Doctor Who. I'm interested in any thoughts and ideas as to why Doctor Who appeals to both believers and non-believers. And secondly, Doctor Who fans often speak of watching the show religiously and finding a sense of community with other fans. I'd like to know if Doctor Who functions as a religion. Does Doctor Who help shape fans' values? Do fans find ultimate purpose in meaning the show? And do they get the same sense of community from other fans they would find in a religious community? Um, so just starting with the first part, though, why do you think it does appeal across the board? I think it's got universal themes. And I think inside us, we are all longing for something. 
and um, that's why there's so many people who say they're spiritual but not religious now. Um, you can see it in all sorts of ways. There is a longing to be connected to something greater than us as individuals. And I think one of the worst things that modern culture has done is to try and convince us that we actually need to live as isolated individuals. And obviously that doesn't work. So for people of both faith and, and non-religious faith, the themes of Doctor Who about community and connection are part of what it means to be human. And some of us find that in the church and, so, and therefore we see our connection as not only to other human beings but also to a higher being. And other people find it in Doctor Who as a connection to other human beings and that's, that's all they need. But I think we all need that connection and that's what Doctor Who provides. I interviewed Sylvester McCoy back in 2007 and it's just curious you saying that because I was asking him about, I was specifically asking him about a gay Doctor Who fans in fact, but he was talking about what attracted people to Doctor Who. And he said, in the early days of Doctor Who, I got the impression that what attracted many people to it, especially people who felt lonely or cut off from the rest of society in many ways, they were attracted to Doctor Who and science fiction because you could go wherever you wanted to go and be whatever you wanted to be in science fiction. I think it was a place where people could go and find communication and a little home. Mm. Yeah. And it seems that's in many ways the same sort of yeah. concept. Yeah. And in relation to, to gay fans in particular, I mean, a lot of science fiction has been a way of talking about that at a time when there was no other way of talking about it. So looking at people like the X-Men in the comics with this great secret that you could sometimes keep hidden, and my favourite ever, which is um, Buffy being a slayer, and her whole coming out to her mother with, are you sure you're a slayer? Have you tried not to be a slayer? <laughs> And at which point, the first time I watched it, I just fell on the floor and go, wow, subtext has just seriously become text. So, so I think there is that sense that science fiction and fantasy provide places for people for whom so-called normal life is not necessarily safe or welcoming. Um, that's why I get really head up about issues of, of sexism and racism and, and homophobia in, in nerd culture, because that's where I live. Um, and I don't want those people on my lawn. Uh, <laughs> by which I mean the sexists and homophobes, not just to make that clear. Um, oh, can we edit that one in post? But I, uh, no, but I, but I, um, but yeah, I mean, it's because it's a place where, and I, and I imagine that, you know, you don't want people with those sort of attitudes in the congregation either because it's meant to be about community. It's meant to be about a place where people can feel safe and feel connected, where you can form a family to, you know, look after each other and be part of a broader community, which is so important. And as you say, is something that, you know, modern society detracts from. And I, one thing, this is going back a bit in the conversation, but you said earlier that um, you feel like there's this modern society's view about how it's all about science now and that faith is, is, should be left behind. And I find that really interesting because as someone who works in science communication, it's really not the case. <laughs> People believe in science anymore. Like, they use it as a touchstone. I think, it, and you pro maybe you find the same thing with people who are, um, for want of a better term, like they're, they're, I don't know what the word would be, but they're, they're sort of lip service Christians who will talk about it, but not really, they don't go to church, they don't really engage with the faith at all. That's how most people are with science. They're like, oh, it's scientific, but then they'll believe any old tosh that they read on the internet without ever looking up to see if it's real. They'll believe what they're told on Today Tonight. They'll believe ads about superfoods. But they don't, they don't understand, you know, they don't, they, don't, they don't engage with science. They're not interested in it on any deep or interesting or useful level beyond now that explained by science. And people who have that attitude and 
will slag off people of faith or any kind of religion, well, I, I don't have time for those people either. Like, that's not, that's not what it should be about. Whatever, you, you know, whatever your belief system of how you interact with the world around you, you've got to really think about it and embrace it. And I think that, you know, that's, yeah, it's something that, that bothers me. And I think Doctor Who is, maybe the, the thing about Doctor Who or other fandoms is that it's a way you can find that community and people do engage with it. They really do sink deep into it. Like if you go to any convention, and I'm sure everybody here is the same, like you can all name all the, all the companions. You can probably name all the doctors in order. You can do all that stuff. You'll know the names of stories. Um, and we sink ourselves into that world and make it part of our lives. And there's so many different things that you can do for that. And it's really about which one do you pick is, is largely about where will you find the community that accepts you and where you feel like you belong. It's, it's, sorry, I was going to say, I think it's actually, coming back to another part of that question, it's not just about community. Like when I, when I was growing up, religion was actually a big point of conflict in, in my family. And so my response was to like pull back, you know, naturally from that. Um, but Doc, Doctor Who was the first sort of fiction I encountered where the main character was like incredibly moral. And so, like, having that as a template. And for me, it wasn't about community. It actually wasn't about fandom. I really, you know, when I was kind of growing up, didn't understand that fandom was a thing that people did um, or that people were part of. And, you know, we moved around a lot, so community wasn't a big thing for me. But it was about those stories that presented a way of being. So, like, coming back to that question, like, can Doctor Who influence, you know, people's kind of personal evolution? I think it totally does. I think it shows you a way to be in the world. And I think that to me is the great thing about Doctor Who is it's always about you can be a little bit better. Mm. Like in the way that you deal with the world and we interact with the world that it can be about sometimes you have to fight and sometimes you have to trust and sometimes you have to run down a million corridors. Um, but other times, like it's just about the many ways that you can be a human being. There's a ultimately. Great, there's a great moment. Uh, I keep bringing this back to Dragonfire. I'm really sorry. Great moment where, because um, Ace is a, is a waitress, a waiter in a in a space cafe at the beginning of the, the episode, and um, the doctor and Mel sit down at a table, and Ace is like really uh, pissed off with a customer and ends up sitting down with them, and there's just this amazingly electric moment between the doctor and Ace, where it's she's so outraged at the way she's been treated, and it has this real kind of moral conviction. Uh, and uh, you can immediately see uh, the doctor basically dump Mel in this <laughs> moment and focus purely. On Ace, because there is that, uh, and for me as well, it's that, that real sense of kind of moral conviction that, that the Doctor has in all these different iterations that uh, was always very aspirational for me. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that I feel New Who sort of lost a little bit. Like, it's kind of made the Doctor a little bit more fallible, whereas I always kind of wanted him to be aspirational, you know. But I think for me, one of the best examples of that was um, the Christmas special where um, nine became ten and Harriet Jones, when the, the aliens are leaving, shoots them anyway. And firstly, I thought that was absolutely brilliant reflection of what's actually happening today. You know, yes, they're running away, but we'll shoot them just in case they come back. But then also the fact that the Doctor, you know, at that point, she's gone. You know, he, he will no longer have a bar of her. And... I thought that was brilliant. That, so that incredibly strong morality. And Doctor Who using it about a situation that, you know, we are currently, you know, we were in Iraq, we were in Afghanistan, this idea that, you know, let's just kill people with drones just in case. 
and you know it's wrong. Obviously, you know my understanding of religion is quite different, uh, but a lot of those themes that you identify as religious, which don't resonate with me as religious ones, like um, like renewal and sacrifice. Sacrifice. Well, I understand sacrifice to mean something slightly different, but uh, not self sacrifice. But self sacrifice renewal. To me, those are very mythic themes. That goes back to what you to, to what we were saying earlier about the, the hero's journey, and you know, the part of that wheel of of storytelling, which echoes through so many different kinds of stories. And for me, that's part of why Doctor Who is such a great, um, I guess, universal story because it constantly engages with different kinds of myth as opposed to religion, which we didn't really talk about so much, but uh, has definite religious overtones to it. That that concept. It kind of feels like that's something you'd say at the beginning of a two-hour <laughs> rather than the end, but there you go. Can I just bring in um, Tolkien, uh, yeah. J.R.R. Tolkien, who was a, a very committed Catholic, and he made those same points about you see this mythical story, and um, he converted C.S. Lewis by saying, well, what if once the story was literally true? And for him, yes, that story is an important part of humanity because it is set essential to us, and at one point, the story actually took on flesh. And I guess for me, that's one of the things, one of the ways I've brought the two together. You know, yes, this is myth, but for me, it's myth that once actually happened. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, please thank our guests, Paul Callahan, Dave Bluestein, and the Reverend Dr. Avril Hannah-Jones. So there's a little bit more to get through, but the homework for next month. So we will be doing a show uh, during Science Week. We will be doing a show, of course, about the eighth Doctor, Paul McGann, uh, and the theme, because it's Science Week, of science in Doctor Who. So we go from religion to science. It seemed appropriate somehow. And what is our homework for that, Petra? Your homework, should you choose to accept it, is the following. Doctor Who, the movie. <laughs> Oh, okay, that's not much. So you can also listen to the audio adventures The Chimes of Midnight, The Silver Turk, Sharda, and the BBC Seven series beginning with Blood of the Daleks. For the theme of science, we suggest The Daleks, Terror of the Autons, The Mask of Mandragora. 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 See, I was thinking man in drag. I was like mandrag. Just like mandrag. Hurrah! <laughs> Four to Doomsday and The Lazarus Experiment. Can I just say, before you yeah. say what the act is, when John told me that this was the act you were going to have for this episode, I was pretty excited. Because <laughs> I thought, that is the best idea I have ever heard. I'm not even sure how much we can tell you about the, the song, but we'll tell you the performers. Yeah. It's, uh, it's Lee Zachariah, a man who doesn't know the meanings of the word, for God's sake, you've been on the show once, just leave me alone. <laughs> or indeed, the difference between one word and a sentence. <laughs> Uh, and Lee is being accompanied here by Adam Rudiger. Adam has a show coming up at the Fringe Festival called Game of Themes, which is on September 19th and 26th at Ruby's Music Room and will feature performance of, I believe, the Ewok song is in there, Adam. Is that true? Yub Nub is in there. Also, the Game of Thrones theme, I'm suspecting, might be in there. Yeah, that's one of my favourites. So we won't tell you what they're performing. You may recognise it. Uh, will you please... To take us out tonight, there's Lee Zachariah and Adam Rudiger. And until next we meet, thank, thank you. you. It's good. Keep warm. Oh, yeah. 
I regenerate in the valley of death. I take a look at my lives and realize I've six left. A large soap bubble just made my life hell, and I'm pretty sure that that's the Rani dressed up as Mel. I am Time's champion, and I'll show you the stars. We can play a round of spoons as I roll my R's. I'm a clownish yet mysterious time traveling fella with a cool pullover and a question mark umbrella. Cancellation ain't nothing but two heartbeats away. I should replace Mel with Ace or possibly Ray. I'm 953 now, but will I live to see 900 with this continuity? I don't know. <laughs> Been spending most our lives fighting with red kings in paradise. Towers. Been spending most our lives fighting with red kings in paradise. Look at the situation, they've got me ace in Time's still making me sick, I'm a wolf for Fenric When you found me I was waitressing on Spartos Felt like white kids had firebombed my heart toss I'm a streetwise girl, quit messing with my mind I've got a baseball bat and some Nitro 9 And on the days I'm not wrestling an inner demon I'm making eyes at Russian able-bodied semen I hate to push the point, but I gotta know Why'd you climb over the railing on that ice floor? There was clearly nothing there as you're sliding down your brolly holding on real tight. That made less sense than ghost-like. Tell me why we why? so blind to see blind. that it's Gallifrey, Frey. not Gallifrey. Common mispronunciation. Been spending most our lives fighting with red kings in paradise. Lives. Been spending most our lives fighting with red kings in paradise. Cybermen and Tetraps, Bannermen and Morgane, Ringmasters and Resis, Candymen and Chess Games. So much evil, I must be a force for good against unimaginable power and unlimited rice hood. When Davros tries to pull a fast one on me, I'm more like LOL, cause that's the hand of OMG. And when I'm done, I'll help young Ace move past this town as I run away from cats like Redagast the Brown. Cause I know one day I'm gonna go out with a bang or just gun down in San Francisco by a Chinese gang. Until that day, a hundred thousand worlds need saving, which I'm gonna do in style with days like Crazy Paven. There are worlds you see where the sky burns free. And the rivers dream by the sleeping sea Somewhere danger lurks as the tea turns blue So come on, Ace, we've got work to do Oz, everybody, have been listening to Splendid Chats. We'd like to thank this episode's Splendid Chats, Paul Callahan, Dave Bluestein, the Reverend Dr. Avril Hannah-Jones, Lee Zachariah, and Adam Rudiger. Your hosts were Ben McKenzie and John Richards. The audio engineering and theme tune were created by the technical wizardry of David Ashton from Sample and Hold Studios. You can find us at SplendidChaps.com and as Splendid Chaps on Facebook and Twitter. I'm Petra Elliott, and until next time, thank you, it's good, keep warm.